0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: bringing you up to speed on the latest in conservation science and responsible hunting in canada hey everyone it's mark hall and you're listening to the round canada podcast Mark, welcome to the Around Canada podcast. Thanks for joining me on a Friday night.
2: Oh, thanks for having me
1: again. Yeah, this is awesome. I love I love repeat repeat guests on the show. It's just a great relationship to build. So, everybody, this is uh, Mark Rickman, manager of policy with the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters. Uh, you probably know him well from social media. Uh, with his funky personal Instagram, Twitter handle. <laughs> I think we talked about that on the last show. I'll, I'll let people go back and find you. But you're here in your official capacity uh, with OFAH and uh, really appreciate, uh, again, the support from the Federation to mm. give us a little bit of your time to talk
2: about these topics. Yeah, me and my team are a big fan of the uh, the work that you do there. So uh, always a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Oh, I love it. I'd, I just, just can't wait for the day where things are a little bit bigger and we're traveling around the country and popping in and across and, uh, cross the nation and catching up with people. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and that'd be awesome. Less, less of the virtual stuff. So we'll get yeah. there. We'll get there one day. So got a couple of um, sort of relatively recent stories out of Ontario um, that I want you to like just – uh, give us the rundown on on what's happening. Just before the show, we were kind of talking about this as a win and then a loss for hunting. We're back <laughs> to like like a net zero. So uh, the first uh, the first topic is uh, was the win, which was to gain on some uh, Sunday hunting uh, in some uh, areas in Ontario, and then the Grinsby Municipality hunting ban. So. Maybe start with the Sunday hunting. Uh, give us a little bit of background on Sunday hunting uh, in Ontario and what's happened recently there.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, for some folks who don't know, and depending on on where a particular listener is living, you know, Sunday gun hunting might not be a thing. Um, it may not be an issue. Maybe it was never prohibited. Maybe they live in a place like uh, one of the maritime provinces, like uh, Prince Edward Island, for instance, where there is no Sunday hunting whatsoever, regardless of the equipment type. Um, so, uh, well, quite a while back, uh, back dating back probably to the 1950s, um, is probably when the initial Sunday gun hunting regulations were drafted here in Ontario. Um, and then uh, sort of fast forward into the mid-90s, late 90s, when we updated uh, the main the main piece of fish and wildlife legislation. It used to be called the Game and Fish Act uh, to the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Act here in Ontario. And that obviously included several regulations under the, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Act. And then fast forward a few more years to uh, about 2005, late 2005, early 2006. Um, When the FWCA, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Act, was um, adopted, there's a provision in there that stated it essentially prohibited hunting with a gun on Sundays south of a particular line in, we call it the French and Mattawa Rivers, which is in central Ontario, if anybody knows, the North Bay Area or Lake Nipissing, which is a large, uh, provincially significant inland fishery uh, in central Ontario. It's about the 46th parallel um so anywhere south of that for the most part uh, you cannot hunt with a gun on sundays uh until late 2005 early 2006 when the government um in response to uh fairly high deer populations and ongoing agricultural conflicts and increasing deer vehicle collisions um consulted all the municipalities uh south of that line so south of the french and matawa rivers uh, which equates to well over 200 municipalities in southern ontario and essentially asked those municipalities what they thought about permitting um hunting with a gun on sundays in the municipalities and at that time uh i I believe it was 67 of those 200 plus municipalities said yes we want this let's adopt it Uh, and that created uh um uh, sort of a, a more streamlined regulations or we updated or the government updated um, the area descriptions regulation under the FWCA essentially saying okay you, you can't you still can't hunt with a gun on Sundays south of the French Manawa River except in the municipalities that are listed in this particular schedule of the regulations so it started out with like I said 67-ish municipalities and then it actually quickly grew from there so I think the the first 67 municipalities um that regulation was updated in early 2006 and before the end of 2006 there's another amendment to that regulation that i think added roughly 20 more municipalities to bring it up to the high 80s um in terms of the number of municipalities south of that line that that permitted sunday gun hunting um Mm -hmm. so that that essentially the the reasoning for um prohibiting Sunday gun hunting in the first place, when the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Act um, was updated, they maintained that provision. And a lot of it was, you know, some of it is probably driven by religion and uh, um, the desire for a day of rest and a day of peace from gunshots and things like that. but as I said, over time those deer populations, uh, and, and it's really it was really driven by deer, not not really any other uh, wildlife species. Um, those deer populations increased to the point where there were a lot of concerns, not just from municipalities, but also farmers, the government, insurance companies who are paying out. Uh, uh quite high claims um at the peak of deer population so that's a very very brief sort of high level uh summary of uh you know sort of how it started and uh how we've gone to where we are now
1: it 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 blows me away actually because that that is not a thing i grew up with it is it doesn't appear to be a western thing i've always heard the sunday hunting um gun rules that that come out of the eastern u.s and, and you know, over the last few years, there's been states that have uh, rescinded them, states that have wanted to impose them, and of course, you hear all the kerfuffle down, down in the U.S. Uh, over that. And then, and then, when I saw these stories coming up in Ontario, I'm kind of like, "Whoa, that's happening here as well." It 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 is just uh, a foreign thing. Uh, it is not anything that's in BC, and uh, I guess that's part of like what I kind of find socially fascinating with the country is this uh this east to west kind of split between right. like you know like is it was it a population thing was it a percentage of uh sunday churchgoers you know in in east as opposed to the west that all the crazies go out to the west you know the wild west i, I, I maybe this is all part of north america's history but um but yeah, it's it, it's quite interesting, and it's quite interesting what you said that it was it was deer driven, and I, I was partially wondering with the changes of society and jobs and families and kids and all this kind of stuff, where people are like, geez. Like these are the only two days I have off. I, mm-hmm. I don't have these flexible like work schedules or, you know, if the hay was in on the farm or, you know, or whatever, we could go out for an evening hunt and people are like, I need that day back. Was that ever part of, part of the, <clears throat> I guess the pushback against the Sunday hunting bands?
2: Uh, Yeah, there's always been that concern from the hunting community about uh, the prohibition of Sunday gun hunting. And that's largely what drives hunters nowadays or Ontario hunters in southern Ontario to push for uh, the repeal of those Sunday gun hunting bans is because, you know, Times have changed. Uh, things are much, much different nowadays. I think about my life, I'm in my mid 40s and uh, you know, I work all week. Uh, Saturdays are for catching up on things like grocery shopping and laundry and all of the activities that my daughter is involved in. Realistically, Sunday is the one day of the week where I really don't have anything scheduled. So if, um, uh, if I lived in a unit or hunted in a unit, that prohibited Sunday gun hunting, then I wouldn't be able to hunt with a gun on that Sunday plain and simple. Now, keep in mind that the season largely is still open. So uh, generally uh, speaking in those areas, people could still hunt with bow hunting equipment, long bows or compounds or crossbows, um, but that's not the case everywhere. And obviously not everybody can or does um, use that type of equipment. So it actually, the um, the restriction on Sunday gun hunting really restricts the number of people who can participate.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for for sure. Now, I, I was getting a little bit educated on this uh, prior prior to the show. Now, it doesn't seem that it's straightforward in the hunting community. Like, there's a bit of a split of some want the hunt Sunday hunting back, and some like the 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 ban and and somehow mm. that's related to the waterfowl hunters. is that is is that real, or did I misunderstand this and what's going yeah, on? Yeah, so
2: that's that's an additional layer of complication, particularly in the far southwest of Ontario. So you'll be aware that uh, under the Migratory Bird Convention Act, the there is a maximum number of hunting days um, in any given year, and that's 107 days. So in municipalities that have never had or never permitted hunting with a gun on Sundays, those waterfowl seasons have been scheduled and expanded to the point that they're still 107 days long, but none of them include Sundays, obviously, because in those municipalities, you can't hunt with a gun on Sunday. So in some of those municipalities um, that are considering allowing Sunday gun hunting, we now have to think about where we are going to cut back on the existing waterfowl seasons to accommodate the new Sunday hunting opportunities. Because if you just add them in, you're above the 107 days that is allowed under under the convention, right? So this gets into a bit of a, Uh, human dimensions um, uh, discussion about hunter behavior and hunter desires and preferences and things like that so um you know the question becomes do we want to cut back on the early goose season for instance Um, that would for the most part be focused on resident canada geese for instance that's what a lot of the hunting activity would be focused on at that time Uh, but there's also a, a late a late season goose hunt for instance and some people absolutely love that hunting opportunity so in these municipalities that exist in these units that are maxed out to the 107 days that are considering allowing the sunday gun hunting we really have to listen intently to the waterfowl hunters in those areas and figure out a whether or not they want sunday gun hunting at all and if the municipality decides to permit sunday gun hunting how are we going to adapt the waterfowl seasons to accommodate the extra days? We're going to lose oh. something somewhere. Yeah, so is that the oh. beginning? Is it at the end? Or do we cut up the the season in the middle and make it really uh, confusing? That
1: is that is so <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, like you said, it's a human dimension thing. Like deer hunters are Sunday people, and duck hunters are Monday people, <laughs> and so that Yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah, or something like that. But no, I get and it. And if you it,
2: get closer to the northern Closer um to central Ontario to the the northern border there, near um uh, the French and Mattawa rivers, where this Sunday gun hunting restriction applies, is probably less of an issue because winter comes generally earlier. So those um late season waterfowl opportunities are very, very scarce if they exist at all. So yeah. um uh, so even if, if, if they did exist, uh, people probably wouldn't be too concerned about losing them because the vast majority, if not all of the birds, would have already flown through at that time of year, right? So okay. they're really not losing any access to hunting opportunities. But in the far southwest of Ontario, and I'm talking down near Sarnia and Windsor and, uh, you know, that corner of the province, um, the winter is much milder. It comes later. It leaves earlier in the year. So, and there's uh, plenty of open, uh, open water. And there are a lot of birds that overwinter in that area. They, they migrate down to that area and don't go any further. So uh the i guess the diversity of hunting opportunities and the length of those seasons can be a lot greater than it is in other parts of the province where you know that typically or sort of that experience a typical canadian winter
1: huh okay wow wow so everything's so complex in hunting yeah (laughs) now now there was some municipality so this was kind of the trending story there was some municipalities or are one or was there a couple that just recently made the change to allow sunday hunting
2: that's right so what happens uh the process is a little bit weird the ministry of natural resources and forestry that has you know the responsibility for the fish and wildlife conservation act and the regulation that um uh, or the, excuse me, the uh, uh, the provision that uh, prohibits Sunday gun hunting south of the French and rivers. They're essentially only a clerk in this process. So what happens is a municipality simply passes a resolution at one of their council meetings uh, that says we we approve of Sunday gun hunting in our municipality. They simply forward that resolution to the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry here in Peterborough, and. Uh, twice a year the ministry uh the mnrf updates that area descriptions regulation that i mentioned that has the table that lists the municipalities that permit sunday gun hunting so the mnrf doesn't actually really play a uh, a role in terms of approving or not approving a municipality's request for sunday gun hunting They, they simply say they simply receive resolution from council and they update the regulation uh twice a year once in the spring and once in the fall so as you mentioned um just recently back in early to mid-september a notice went on to what we call the environmental registry which is kind of our um uh, public consultation portal for any um any government proposal that might uh, impact the environment in any way Uh, and this wasn't really a consultation opportunity it was just a notice to people saying that that the MNRF is updating that schedule to add uh, uh, the township or the town of West Lincoln and uh, East Willembury. So those two municipalities have recently passed a resolution to allow Sunday gun hunting. So uh, that happens just in time for the fall seasons, thankfully. So um, it is now in place in those areas.
1: Oh, that's cool. Okay. So that that happened. The turnaround time was relatively quick, quick, I guess, because... I guess the timing of the resolutions kind of got in just, just exactly yeah wire.
2: okay I get it yeah get so it. if yeah. a municipality passes a re- resolution the day after the government updates the regulation then they have to wait for that oh. that other period during the year when yeah. uh yeah. when they oh, update it next, they don't they don't update year. it as they get the uh, as they get the request they do it at set times per year okay
1: so. okay yeah. now is. Is um, the federation involved at at all like a portfolio that you're, you know, just sort of slowly picking one or two municipalities a year and trying to meet and do presentations and kind of move more people to, to debating this and getting, getting a, a, you know, a, a resolution on the table. What, what kind of work are you guys doing there?
2: Uh, quite a bit actually. So we were um, fairly instrumental in spearheading the original proposal to allow Sunday gun hunting because we were generally um, opposed to it to begin with. So. Um, with the help of insurance companies and municipalities who wanted Sunday gun hunting and wanted help dealing with um, high deer populations, we were able to convince the government back in 2005 to uh, propose that and, uh, and make those changes. And we've been involved ever since, and it, that continues to this day. I believe there are probably a couple dozen municipalities south of the French and rivers that um, don't currently permit Sunday gun hunting. Some of those, maybe half of those, are in the greater Toronto area, so a highly developed area where there's really no hunting at all. So, we wouldn't, we wouldn't reasonably expect them to ever adopt Sunday gun hunting. But there are probably um, 10 15 more, I haven't actually counted, but um, uh, that uh, are located in parts of the province that could easily and safely support Sunday gun hunting. They already support gun hunting throughout the rest of the week, right? Um, and bow hunting on those Sundays. So, um, we work generally in response to local uh, requests for help so um, municipal councils tend to listen to their constituents and local residents much more than a provincial organization uh, because we don't pay uh, into their tax base by any means so um, we uh, fairly often get contacted by folks who either live or hunt in a particular area saying hey how do i how do i get sunday gun hunting in my area and we give them advice we give them advice on on who to contact and and things to say and say if and when you can get this debate um on the agenda at a future council meeting let us know and we will come and speak and provide a deputation in support of sunday gun hunting and uh sometimes we have to help people with a lot of hunting stats and safety stats and things like that and we provide all of that uh, all of that information to anybody who asks and we bring that sort of, um that expertise and that long history, not just in Sunday gun hunting, but in hunting in general, um, to municipal councils and help educate them uh, about, you know, what hunting is, what it isn't, why it's safe, how people conduct it, um, and often provide our services or um, uh, provide advice on how to craft uh, municipal bylaws, including discharge or firearm bylaws to, allow as much hunt- hunting as possible in the municipality. Um sometimes it's not appropriate to have hunting throughout an entire municipality. Maybe some of the areas are are fairly highly developed uh, but uh other sections might be sort of rural or um farmland for instance that are you know perfectly safe for hunting. So we help municipalities in that regard as well.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's that. That in itself just sounds like a lot of work on top of all the other things that uh, that you deal with provincially. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's um that's amazing. Um, so now, so that that's like like that's a good win. That's a couple of municipalities mm-hmm. like this fall back on the books now. Now the loss that we were talking about at at the beginning of the episode. Uh, in the municipality uh, or community of Grimsby, which which was it? Uh, that yeah, was the it, town
2: of Grimsby. Grimsby.
1: Yeah. So that was a yeah. vote to ban the use of weapons. Is that what it was? Guns and bows. So it was like all hunting was off the table, not just a Sunday.
2: Yeah. So it's this gets into a slightly um, different conversation. So uh, Sunday gun hunting is one thing. This, we're talking about hunting in general, not just Sunday gun hunting, not just gun hunting even. Um, so uh, I don't know what it's like in other provinces, particularly on BC, but municipalities in Ontario really only exist with the permission essentially of the province. Um, so a municipality can't just create itself. So they um, the province creates these, these municipalities. And uh, one of the main pieces of legislation that governs what municipalities can and cannot do is called the Municipal Act in Ontario. The provision, there's a single short provision related to uh, discharge of firearms um, that gives municipalities the authority to pass bylaws to regulate the discharge of firearms within their boundaries, but only for the purposes of public safety. And that is an important point. So we're not talking about um, crafting a hunting bylaw, for instance. the 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 purpose and the justification for a bylaw that is regulating discharge should only be for purposes of public safety. So what happens uh, in Grimsby and elsewhere is that um, you know occasionally some people um, complain. Obviously, they complain about noise. They complain about perceived safety issues. They complain about people launching their boat in inappropriate areas for instance to go waterfowl hunt on lake ontario the justification for the complaints could be fairly fairly diverse but what happens is that um and what happened in grimsby is that it initiated a conversation about their discharge bylaws um and the um uh, the staff at the at the community at the, at the town of Grimsby were tasked with reviewing the existing bylaw or the, the bylaw that existed at the time uh, and come back to council with a recommendation, uh, for whether or not to completely pro- prohibit the discharge of firearms within the municipal boundaries or To craft some sort of compromise solution and they did actually come back to the council with a compromise and um for anybody who knows uh grimsby i don't expect too many people to but it's in between uh hamilton and niagara falls so just west of niagara falls uh on the south shore of lake ontario there's a fairly busy highway that runs right along Uh, essentially the shore of Lake Ontario through the town of Grimsby proper, where there's a lot of shops and homes and so on and so forth. Doesn't make sense to have hunting in that area, obviously. It's far too developed and, and highly populated. But the municipality, the south side of the municipality, also includes part of the niagara escarpment which is a, a fairly um uh well-known uh land feature here in ontario and that area is much more rural and um a lot of farmland and so on and so forth where public safety is not an issue it's actually not different than uh many of the areas across ontario that permit hunting um that are that are uh, sort of populated by by farms So the staff had come back to the town of Griffey and said, we could actually prohibit the discharge of firearms in this section where it doesn't make sense, where it's highly populated and still allow the discharge of firearms, including bows on the Niagara Escarpment in those areas where there are fewer people. Um, Unfortunately, uh, just a few weeks ago at the council meeting, the council voted five, five to four in favor of prohibiting all discharge of firearms in the municipality. So even in those areas where it's completely safe to do so, and I'm not just talking about a gun, I'm talking or a shotgun or a rifle. I'm talking about um, bow hunting equipment as well. So everything is currently um, the discharge of any firearm is currently prohibited in the town of Grimsby, uh, and unfortunately, an added wrinkle is what we call the Territorial Division Act, which um, which essentially states that a municipal boundary, if it sits on a certain kind of water body, in this case, it's Lake Ontario, the boundaries of the municipality extend out into the water, Lake Ontario, to where it meets, in this case, the international boundary, the United States. So the bylaw, the municipal bylaw passed by the town of Grimsby prohibiting the discharge of firearms also applies way out into Lake Ontario. So people cannot even, within the boundaries of the town of Grimsby, go out onto Lake Ontario and hunt divers, for instance, well offshore, because the discharge of firearms is prohibited out there as well. Um, so this is why I'm not afraid to say that Grimsby, o- over the course of the last few years, has been one of the 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 least friendly municipalities to hunting and the discharge of firearms. Um, and this this sort of is the culmination of those discussions. Unfortunately, we worked, um, my, we, the OFAH worked pretty hard um, trying to help them craft a bylaw that would permit hunting in the areas where it makes sense. Um, but uh, as I said, the council decided differently.
1: Wow. Well, wow. that is a complex story. Scary too, you know, that uh... You know, a community's got that much, you know, ability un, under provincial legislation to, to, to do that over such a, a wide area of public land. Now, mm-hmm. is there anything to sort of the stories I've heard about this of like the culture of people in the rural areas changing because of sort of uh, the movement of people out of the urban centers to the rural lifestyles um you know buying acreages that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and just not wanting rural stuff (laughs) happening in their rural neighborhoods which includes you know some hunting and and some uh you know sounds of shotguns and motorboats and stuff yeah is there anything to that or is that that there certainly is
2: i mean we we hear that all the time um it's probably blamed more often than it's justified, but it is certainly true in many cases. And I'll uh, I'll give you a, just a, a quick example where this is probably more on the extreme side. But um, there's been a particular trap and skeet club in a rural area uh, in a municipality of uh, uh, in southern Ontario that we were dealing with in the last uh, over the course of the last month or two. I would say um, it's been there for decades, long, long time. Um, Only has, I think, three neighbors that are all sort of farm properties around it. Never had a problem before. Um, Some new folks have moved in right next door, um, knowing full well that there was a trap and ski club right next door. And uh, those folks had been complaining about uh, the noise, um, which is right. I mean, you knew what you were getting into or you should have known what you were getting into. Right. Um, And then obviously they complained to the municipality. Um, and the municipality ended up having to, they didn't prohibit, they didn't close the club or anything. They didn't prohibit discharge of firearms, thankfully, but they did update their, uh, their bylaw to say that, um, they essentially carved out the chunk of land that the, the, uh, Trap and Skeet club exists on and said, here, you can only conduct your trap and skeet competitions X number of times per month or per year not in the months of July and August for instance um, so still a bit of a compromise solution there but uh, as I said at the beginning you know people moved into a house next door to a trappid ski club and then complained about a trap ski club
1: yeah, I've heard I've heard similar stories uh, in the Fraser Valley outside of Vancouver of like the pig farms, right? And the people yeah. move people move out of the city, and they're like, "Geez, these pig farms stink!" And it's like they they need to go. And it's like, well, hang on a second, pig farms yeah. we're here we're here first, so yeah.
2: yeah. And I mean, I mean, you know, somebody is a tax paying resident of a of rural property they're their opinion matters, of course, but uh, you do have to wonder about uh, what they were thinking in, in a case like, well, the one you mentioned as well as the one yeah. I mentioned, right? Like, you know full well, um, it's not like you you uh, move into an area in, you know, the spring and then are surprised four months later when deer season opens and there are shots all over the place or waterfowl hunting opens, for instance, right? Um uh somebody could be forgiven for not knowing what level of hunting activity might occur in a particular area but you know and that's why i say it's an extreme case but uh you move in beside a trappist ski club you better know where you're getting into
1: yeah yeah no absolutely you know people buy a home they kind of tend to look at the neighborhood and the surrounding properties and you Hmm. know that that sort of thing now this is going to be a long-term kind of problem because like this isn't something you can get the hunting community around and say, "Hey, write your city council like about this and go to city meetings." Because if you're not a resident of that of of Grimsby, like you're you're a nobody, right? Like it, this isn't a yeah. provincial government decision where it's like write the minister, talk to your elected official, you know that sort of thing. I, I guess maybe maybe talking to like an MLA area that falls within might be the only thing where an MLA you know meets with the mayor and yada yada, yada and they're like hey I'm hearing a lot from my constituents and yeah but at the end of the end of the day they hold all the gold because they're like well your constituents aren't all our constituents and it sounds kind of like a shitty situation for for hunters for the next few years unless there's a change of heart
2: uh, yeah and that's not exactly it right I mean there is at a local scale, you can get a local grassroots effort going on to um, have people in the area, the residents and, and people who own property there and pay taxes um, to, to pressure the municipal council to reconsider. And, and we'll ask people to do that in the future, probably not right away because they just made this, this decision. So the likelihood of them reconsidering this soon um, is essentially nil um now the other thing to consider is you know there there tends to be uh quite a bit of turnover in some municipal councils right And that could that could be a benefit that could be a hindrance Um, we've benefited in certain municipalities that were long time holdouts against Sunday gun hunting that all of a sudden elected some folks that were supportive of Sunday gun hunting. And just almost overnight, those folks passed the resolution to per- permit Sunday gun hunting. So um, you never know what an election, a municipal election is going to bring. It might completely change um, the look of the council. And that is probably the most uh, predictable and realistic opportunity to to revisit it, particularly in uh, the town of Grimsby.
1: Right. So bit of education, bit of community liaison and buying some time possibly. So
2: And that's why it's important to always I don't want to sound like a like a, a preacher here by any means, but um, you never know what Individual folks are thinking in um, in a particular municipality or or anywhere really, and and that's why it's important. Uh, we try to um, to promote you know ethical and responsible participation in hunting and fishing to ensure that um, you know, we're minimizing, uh, the bad interactions between anglers and hunters and non and the non hunting and non angling public, uh, because sometimes that is what is driven, uh, driving some of those complaints. So, um, uh, the more we can avoid, uh, those unfortunate situations, hopefully it'll, it'll over time minimize the, uh, the number of people that are approaching their municipal council and complaining about, um, uh, you know, completely legitimate legal and well-regulated hunting and fishing activity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think to add to that, I think it also speaks to, you know, the mantra we heard over and over for hunters is meet with your elected officials on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. we need to bring that down a notch and think of your mayor and city councils too as being elected officials. You should just go meet with and say, hey, we're the, you know, president of the local hunting club. Here's some things. What are you hearing? you know, just so people know each other as human beings right so that's Mm uh that's a that's a level actually i think we never really advocate you know at least elsewhere that i've seen is is advocating for hunters to meet with their elected officials we're always talking about mlas and ministers and not city councils but this is a great example um and this could come this could you know come back in any way shape or form even even municipalities that are trying to figure out what to do with their urban deer problems you know like the 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 better they know their local hunting club and their local hunters and stuff it just puts them in a position where uh they feel they have options and and respect for for hunters because they know them and they can engage them on those discussions and you know that would be a win to get hunters in you know controlling urban geese and urban deer as opposed to you know, these, uh, um, you know, government-led calls or egg addling or or, or whatever. So good message, good message for And that's a good
2: point. I mean, I have to admit that that's something that we, the OFAH, don't do all that often either. We don't, we're not, we don't frequently advocate for proactive uh, networking and making those connections with uh, municipal officials, right? It tends to be uh, in response. It tends to be reactionary. It tends to be in response to uh, a problem that we're facing. And uh, um, municipal politics uh, works fast. So sometimes that um, uh, there isn't a whole lot of time for people to contact their municipal officials and, uh, and build that relationship, right? So that's, I think that's great advice. And it's, um, it's something that, uh, that I'm going to keep in the back of my mind as well going forward
1: yeah i know it's one of the the initiatives out here that the bc wildlife federation is working on is like putting putting um engagement kits together for its membership like here's here's a binder here's some topics um so they can educate their members and then they have people on staff that would say phone their members up in cranbrook and say like okay hey you got your kit Um, topic X is really important right now. And we got people all over the province that are booking to meet with their elected officials. Do you need some help? You know, can we book the appointment for you? And they coach them, you know, and so they, they would go into this meeting and they literally like, Hey, take the binder, open it up, talk to the bullet points that are on there, unclip it out. Let the MLA assistant photocopy it and put that into their file. If they give you something back, put it into your binder. Um, thank everybody. And then we'll catch up with you next quarter. And it's it's quite a structured process, but it's being led by the Federation and a coordinator provincially and and, and just saying, go meet with your elected official. And people are like, well, what do I say? Right? And right it's Like, yeah. oh, like here, here you go. Here's your binder.
2: Right, so that is a great, great initiative. Actually, that's uh, an, another thing that I'll keep in the back of my mind. That sounds <laughs> another... like a lot of work, to be honest. But <laughs> well, <laughs> but, they, uh, they certainly actually... valuable. I'm sure it pays dividends over time. Yeah,
1: they they hired a coordinator for it in uh mm-hmm. in, in the BC Wildlife Federation. So uh it doesn't have to fall on you. You just need to to beg, <laughs> beg the money to hire someone else to do it. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh cool. Mark, thanks so much for uh filling in in on these like super important topics. Uh hopefully everybody across the country uh got a lot lot out of this. I just love love learning what's going on. Uh, all over the country so i really appreciate your knowledge and the work that you're doing and taking a bit of time to to fill everybody in on these win and a loss <laughs> we're still Maybe maybe we should do the math, like take the hectares of like into hunting and out of hunting, and then see if yeah. it's a, if it's a net gain or a net loss. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, I don't
2: know if I want to know the answer to that. To be honest, <laughs> so yeah. okay, okay. Well, if it, if it looks
1: good, crunch the numbers. If it doesn't, just say yeah, no, I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for joining us on the Round Canada podcast. Look forward. Yeah, to and I I really appreciate the, the
2: opportunity. Yeah, it's always a good time. All right, bud.
3: Talk to you Thanks soon. Again.
1: Matt Besco, welcome to the podcast. This is part two.
3: Great to be here, Mark. As always.
1: So we've been uh, playing podcast tag for uh, since the springtime on on uh, this this particular topic. So Matt, you are now uh, officially the executive director of Alberta's newly created hunting and fishing branch.
3: Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. The official appointment of me becoming executive director is yet to yet to happen, but I'm in the acting role right now.
1: Oh, okay. So you could get a bio package here any day. <laughs>
3: well, I'm not saying anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. No, that's that's cool. So fill us fill us in uh, on this this new initiative in Alberta and, and what it is, what the branch is, why it came about, what it means for wildlife and, and for hunters. And and then I kind of think we want to move into a little bit about this model and where we see this model. Yeah.
3: It's, it's really an exciting. Yeah. It's a really exciting time for us. So last winter, so in you know, February of this last year, late February, uh, early March, um, there was a split in the responsibilities and duties of fish and wildlife uh, that were previously housed in environment and parks or sorry, environment and protected areas. And what has happened is the hunting and fishing components, involving allocation and use were split from fish and wildlife stewardship in order to become its own branch in forestry and parks. So a different ministry from environment and protected areas to forestry and parks. And it was a very unique split because the objective functions of the newly established hunting and fishing branch are to optimize the management of fisheries and wildlife resources for allocation and use. So it's a matter of optimizing populations of game species and fish species for utilization and allocation to a variety of different users and user groups for a variety of purposes. Whereas before, There was a lot of philosophies that tended to say that we would allocate surplus populations or surplus uh, individuals within a population to hunters and anglers, whereas the objective function of the newly established branch is to optimize that allocation. So that is our objective function, is to look at what the needs, the desires, the Hopes and aspirations are of, of uh, both resident Albertans and those individuals from out of province that come here to participate in hunting and angling activities and to optimize those opportunities in order to, and to create opportunities by which those individuals, user groups, are able to enjoy their hunting and fishing experiences
1: so in the in the split does the the management of wildlife fall under the new branch or is like the actual like biology the counts um, those types of wildlife management stuff is that still a stewardship role or is that like a branch role
3: yeah so the responsibilities around uh, risk assessment and monitoring still remain within uh, fish and Wildlife Stewardship and Environment. So that branch in that ministry is still responsible for inventory and monitoring on an annual basis. So they will go in; they will do the aerial ungulate surveys. Uh, our staff will are, are, are you know more often than not involved in that process. They will do the um, fall walleye index netting, the electrofishing in the spring and summers and they will come up with a variety of different indices and population information to uh, indicate current status in a particular unit that we're uh, interested in evaluating. Um, They will uh, take that information and submit it to us, and we will use that information and use a uh, fairly detailed cons- consultation information from a variety of different user groups, be, be it landowners, or or uh, beef producers, or a variety of hunting-related or fishing-related organizations, and then come up with an allocation, either by water body, by zone, or by wildlife management unit, and then uh, environment, and parks, and fish and wildlife stewardship will be uh, is responsible for monitoring those populations okay, so it's a, okay. it's a it, it does require some collaboration between those ministries and between those branches so we work closely with our counterparts in environment and parks in in order to achieve mutually uh, you know beneficial uh, objectives
1: that's that's interesting so that's kind of what i'm sort of envisioning is uh Folks in your branch are going to email the folks in the other branch and says, "Hey, can, can you can you make more mountain sheep in Management Unit One, Two, Three? Because we need to." Yeah, it's them. it's
3: yeah, it's not it's not necessarily <laughs> that role, right? It's uh, no. when it comes to things like enhancing populations, we'll work closely with our counterparts in Environment and Parks, and you know, we will say uh, we'll work closely with them, and we'll say, you know, look, there's some opportunities here to uh, enhance bighorn sheep habitat by managing forest ingress. And uh, we will work with our counterparts in forestry and lands and those in fire management in order to, uh, you know, look at different opportunities by which we can enhance uh, sheep habitat either by controlled uh, burns and managing those. And, and defining those areas by which we'll be able to uh, enhance the forage capability and uh, manage for better late winter range, sheep range, and uh, you know, also augmenting things like fishery stocks in a variety of waters. So working with the hatchery folks and working within that system, and if we want to encourage uh, harvest and opportunities for walleye, uh, are we going to uh, optimize take by augmenting those stocks? And uh, we're already looking and have worked with our counterparts in environment in order to work with spawn camps that would uh, enable us to produce walleye in the hatcheries or be able to produce um, you know fertilized eggs that we would subsequently uh, move to a variety of fisheries. And get uh, reproduction there, and fry, and and actually moving adults from one water or from one lake to another within the same watershed, uh to in order to uh, enhance current fisheries. So I think those are all steps that we can work with our counterparts in Environment in order to augment, enhance, and manage these collectively.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it'll obviously take take a little little bit for folks to sort out the new kind of roles and responsibilities. What what do you see or what is what is everybody that you know that you work with in all the different agencies, what do you see as like the big the big win here? Like what's the the big plus in in sort of um, you know it's it's a little bit more as I see it kinda of a little bit more like fine scale. Um, you know, breaking out sections of government into into very distinct um, functions because you're you know you're hunting and fishing not not you're not also allocating um, campground reservations <laughs> like it's like
3: it, right right you know
1: so, so what for, from this from a hunting uh, hunting and fishing allocation perspective and a wildlife management perspective what 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 is everybody saying that they see this as a positive or the big the big wins?
3: Well, I think. Uh, We're still early in the process, and I think in terms of the broader hunter, hunting and angling public, uh, I think we need to more broadly uh, advertise the various elements of the split. So every time we have been meeting with stakeholders, we meet with them together and collectively, and we're able to discuss the function uh, aspect. Um, In terms of, you know, what people are saying once they realize what the goals and functions of each branch within each ministry is they're quite optimistic. And what it does for us in hunting and fishing branch is enables uh, our work to become much more focused. We don't have a lot of other sort of distractions that are in play for us. We're quite cognizant of the sustainable conservation-based principles that we will allocate with and i mean we have to have them in order to smoke them and that has to be uh, a process by which we identify populations as being sustainable for us to be able to do that however at the same time we do believe that we can optimize harvest and opportunity to harvest both fisheries and wildlife resources by working within uh, what economists would call a production possibilities curve so if you look at the amount of Production that ecosystems will offer and potential goods and services uh, within that realm is what are we optimizing for? So, uh, you know, are we going to optimize for single species? Are we going to optimize for a variety of different species that we're able to allocate? And we're likely going to do a little bit of both. Um, there's going to be a variety of different units, for example, by which. Species like walleye are going to be the primary species that we'll emphasize in terms of harvest availability and other fisheries where perch or whitefish will also be optimized for use. There are watersheds and rivers such as the Bow River where you know rainbow trout and brown trout, those are gonna be the species that we're gonna be looking at optimizing for catch and release opportunities which are enjoyed by anglers from throughout North America, throughout the world for that unique experience where where there's other fisheries, stock trout fisheries, put and take fisheries, which are largely family oriented for people to go to. So I think the key here is to diversify the number of different opportunities that are provided for. And, uh, when we say enhance and augment, that's not going to apply to every single fishery or wildlife, uh, management unit, but we will look to opportunities by which we can either um, manage better for the optimization of a given value within a certain uh, wildlife management unit or a given lake and diversify the number of different opportunities that we have out there. So Albertans uh, will have readily available choices to make when they choose to hunt or fish. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I see kind of a, you know, a value to Albertans here, you know, with sort of the responsibility of, you know, government, uh, sort of as the, um, you know, like the stewards or the caretakers of a public resource. I, I see some like and I hope, hopefully, the non-hunting, you know, um, population in Alberta would see this too. But I, I see transparency to this process because it, it's like the inventory part and the monitoring part, like that baseline and that population stuff, is is separate from the allocation stuff. And to me, I think that is a very, like, a very wise like transparent separation, because, as you know, there's more and more things all across North America, uh, you know, where hunting is being accused of, you know, all types of things. One of them, you know, is these agencies um, that manage wildlife, uh, fish, fish and wildlife are like captured agencies, captured by, you know, the hook and bullet crowd they're also responsible for allocating and creating the seasons but also like the management and inventory of it where where you know if you got one group that's inventorying and monitoring and providing data and another group that's looking at at data uh that 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 to me seems to that division seems a little bit you know to move towards some transparency in eyes of the public and i've seen this in other government institutions where you know there's they've split things like one ministry used to like issue permits for like whatever for development projects and then they also did the compliance monitoring and right from the eye of the public it'd be like how can you be issuing the permits and then also doing the compliance shouldn't those be like separate separate entities for transparency because when you are Doing audits and, and compliance, you're sort of looking at your, yourself as well, like were the permits done properly, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, we, I don't, I don't, do, you, do you see, was that part yeah, of this? Uh,
3: absolutely. Uh, transparency was quite key, and especially so uh, when uh, we had our May election provincially, and uh, in terms of ministry interests transparency and involvement in the public in these processes are absolutely, uh, stressed. So the shift is not only being able to share data with the broader public and be much more transparent with objectives, but having public involved in the development of objectives for, um, Fisheries and wildlife allocation and use, I think, is really, really key. And what does that really mean? So does that mean that we use the same methods as we have before or that we use new methods by which we engage not only the hunting and angling public, but the broader public? And I would see that it's probably uh, both. And let's use what has worked in the past and let's enhance it with more targeted consultation on user groups and groups that are affected largely by the allocation and use, but at the same time doing so in the broader context of fisheries and wildlife management as a whole. So when we look at implementing seasons for a species like mule deer, we not only consider optimizing the availability of deer on the landscape, but we also consider the needs of, for example, beef producers and landowners that are experiencing depredation type issues. Or there's a uh, competitive aspect around uh, the availability of different forage or stored feed and having species like mule deer or elk out there at the same time that are causing concern for those landowners. And it's finding middle ground And at the same time, recognizing what the needs of hunters are, and as well as landowners, regional municipalities and so forth, and integrating those concerns into processes by where we're willing to look at uh, a variety of different wildlife management objectives to implement. And that will translate into the types of quota development uh, that we would apply by unit area and by species. So. I mean, what do we mean by wildlife management or fisheries management objective? So these can vary from, you know, optimizing the number of whitetail deer that you have on the landscape in order to create maximum types of opportunity for people to be able to harvest and enjoy the food value of white-tailed deer. And when you do that and you look at sheer numbers, quite often you're managing for Younger populations, high fecundity, high production, and and doing so, of course, has its costs. You, you're dealing with optimizing the sustained yield uh, just under the maximum, and you're dealing with um, trying to maintain a status that sometimes uh, catastrophic effects, such as a bad winter, may, you know... Um, have, have uh, severe consequences on the availability and the production of whitetails. And you're also looking at managing towards an abundance of species that may cause some undesirable um, type aspects on the landscape, such as not only depredation, but ingress into towns and things like that. So it's balancing all those different interests and concerns into creating a quota that optimizes um, the value of that species in any given unit area, and and, uh, considering the needs of as many different user groups as possible. Uh, We could, for example, look at a wildlife management objective by which we would optimize antler size and age class of white-tailed deer as well. And that would basically uh, maintain growing and having the opportunity to maintain older age classes of white-tailed deer bucks on the landscape creating different quotas that would optimize the population of those creating better um buck to doe ratios mainly maintaining the overall deer on the landscape such as the production and quality of bucks over a longer period of time would be maintained and that has consequences as well so um, be it fish or be it various types of wildlife we would like to be able to optimize and create wildlife management objectives that consider the needs of all resource users and as well as people that value, um, you know, variety of different species on the landscape and, and stakeholders who, you know, own portions of the landscape as well are pretty key to this process.
1: Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it, it's an it's a very interesting model, and yeah, I really I really hope it's successful. You know, in in the long run, I love the fact that it's very objective driven. Uh, it's one of the things that where I live in British Columbia, wildlife lacks objective driven, you know, management systems, management regimes in in both populations and allocation is 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 lacking of objectives where you're you're very you're a very worldly guy when it comes Uh. to uh uh, wildlife management like you know your (laughs) your your duck hunting partner has filled you in in every aspect of the deep south in the u.s like you you probably know that area inside and out but but looking around like europe and the united states and stuff are there similar government branches or ministries or jurisdictions that are just focused like the alberta model uh, i doubt in, there is in canada yeah, or in, I could, in I canada recall.
3: i think in canada we're quite unique in that respect and we are precedent setting in terms of uh what our mandate and role is in in a single branch um quite often if there is a split and there is a creation of a branch around allocation and use it usually falls within the same ministry so you know there's there's still a lot of of uh of of sharing of information and data and dealing with objectives that are um singular in their focus and I think the split between ministries is unique in, uh, in, Alberta's, um, in Alberta's current state, and I have a lot of hope for it. And I think having that is, is a great opportunity to be able to evaluate what we could do and how we could optimize the working relationship between um, two ministries, you, uh, managing a shared resource, and with different wildlife management and fisheries management objectives and 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 mandates and be able to recognize and respect each other's mandates in in, in context. So I, I have a lot of hope for that. So in Canada, we certainly are I think unique. In the states, I'm not sure because there's a lot of different jurisdictions, both federal and state agencies. And I don't really know what their branch concept is and their departmental divisions. But I think even at that scale, North American scale, we're, all, we're quite likely fairly unique in terms of the separation of monitoring and inventory to um, allocation. I think they're pretty closely tied in some of those Southern jurisdictions.
1: Yeah, that, that would be my... You know, my my guess as well. Like even in the United States, like state fish and wildlife level, like your your habitat folks, your scientists, the monitoring, um, all all of that stuff, setting the hunting seasons, and and the enforcement part, I I think all fall under like the state fish and wildlife A- agency. They may be their different like little groups. But umbrella-wise, I think they're still still part of the same the same agency. But like you said, I, you know, they so <laughs> U.S. is so big in so many jurisdictions. I, I definitely don't don't want to um, say something if that, if that's not right.
3: Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm quite optimistic about it, Mark, because we are given uh, a unique opportunity, and you know, we still work with our former counterparts in environment. We still rely on them and have to work with um, folks that are responsible for different aspects of managing the same resource. So our counterparts in environment are responsible for managing the inventory and monitoring aspect of fisheries and game species. Um, In the uh, Department of Justice, we have the Fish and Wildlife Officers and the Fish and Wildlife uh enforcement branch that is looking at um how we enforce the regulations and rules around the allocation of those two species and the management thereof and uh and we still work quite closely together with uh, our counterparts in enforcement we also work quite closely with our with our counterparts and other um branches within our own ministry and forestry and lands that have uh mandates and and responsibilities that uh, will cross over into ours so if it involves habitat enhancement if it involves um you know agriculture in particular concern that we would have around disease and the vectors around disease such as you know around things like avian influenza uh, there's the uh, wildlife And fisheries health component, which is lead in environment, uh, but it also affects us in allocation and also uh, affects domestic producers of poultry in agriculture. So we will always have to work together with counterparts and uh, people of like minds in other ministries and other branches. But I think the real advantage of this process is we have a unique mandate, we're able to focus our resources on the fulfillment of that mandate and and we're able to apply whatever capacity we have within our mandate in order to provide a a, a really important service to Albertans. And that's what I'm most optimistic about.
1: Hmm. No, that's that's that is something to be optimistic about. Uh, I agree, and I think it's it's exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to like following how how the branch unfolds. One of the things I love about what Alberta has done here is, to me, this is a very very clear and strong sign within a provincial government that hunters and anglers are important. To the current government in Alberta, enough so that the allocation and their opportunities and families getting food and and recreating together and all that kind of stuff was was that important. They realize it's yep. that important. To Albertans, it's that important to the government because when I look around jurisdictions in North America, uh, so, some are, some are less pro hunting than other jurisdictions, and you see problems with commissions down in the US and and um, you know different agencies like smoothing out language and you know it's not a wildlife management plan anymore. It's a wildlife stewardship plan. And and you know hunting is just the words itself are slowly being being erased out of, you know, the vernacular of, of governments and and whatnot. And so that makes hunters having to fight a little bit more for like, Hey, you know, like we want this opportunity or we want some, this is important to us. Or that's important to us. And that message seems to be, um, taken to heart, uh, in Alberta by the government. And they went forward and created a, a branch that it's, uh, has not whitewashed the name, hunting and fishing branch, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. And it was very, I see that is a huge
1: win just if nothing else the fact that the word hunting and fishing is in the name of a government branch uh, that to me is just that's a win that's amazing
3: it was a really interesting time when it uh when we were looking at the name right it i mean there's all sorts of different names that were batted around and you know because the nature of the branch is not just hunting and fishing we have all the hunting and fishing licenses that um are run through our branch as well so we have the alberta realm system and the entire licensing for you know hunting fishing trapping uh that's all that's all on on our alberta realm system we also manage for trapping in alberta we also manage for wildlife-human coexistence. So if we were the hunting, fishing, trapping, licensing, wildlife-human <laughs> coexistence branch, then that would uh, that would certainly be um, a lot to roll off the tongue on a Saturday night. So, And then, uh, and then it would yeah.
1: probably be some kind of an acronym that somebody thought was cool and yeah, it was released yeah. to the public. They yeah. found some some way to make it funny and then they had to change yeah, it. That, that happened yeah. in
3: bc here so oh yeah uh, it, it happens everywhere it happens everywhere but <laughs> but i think these the straightforward simplicity or and clarity around hunting and fishing branch is uh part of part of what makes it appealing and yes. i agree for uh, a government to be able to um Identify a branch, um, you know, simply by the activities that it manages—hunting and fishing—and to declare that as having great value to Albertans that warrant the development uh, of a branch is is very um, important step um, because the recognition of hunting and angling as key components of wildlife management. And stewardship I think have long been talked about in the shadows but this makes it absolutely clear and obvious it's um, it's something that we can wear proudly upon our lapels as Albertans as we recognize the uh, importance cultural historical economic ecological uh, social values to um, our province and able to respect those values and those activities as something that we hold very very dear to our hearts and coming from a a culture you know my parents came from poland after the second world war where you know hunting was very much um, a privilege that was enjoyed by the few in order to come to a jurisdiction and enjoy hunting and fishing Um, by free and equitable access by which the government is the steward of a resource that is owned by all Albertans. That is a very refreshing and very unique perspective um, to be a part of. And it's very dear to us. And it's incredibly, incredibly valuable to be able to trade this away for something else is unfathomable. And to discard it would be a and or let it degrade would be a travesty. And not because hunting and angling are you know only enjoyed by three or ten or five or seven percent of Alberta's population, but because of the deep um values that hunters and anglers have with respect to the actual wildlife and the cultural history that we have with respect to our wildlife, the relationship that we have between human beings and wildlife on a shared landscape, uh, in addition to the shared values that we would have with non-hunters. And even though that there's a significant proportion, apportionment of Alberta's population that may not hunt, chances are that the order of relationship to people that do hunt is actually quite narrow it's like you know how many degrees of kevin bacon right it's like (laughs) i may not i may not hunt or fish but chances are you know someone who does and chances are that you've tasted moose you know going to your friends and family and being able to respect that um and respect the values that people will hold dear to their hearts um i mean it's nothing short of of uh gosh, I don't even know. It's it's nothing short of miraculous that we're able to enjoy that in today's um, uh, day and age Um, and uh, look at the way that uh, things are managed on a global basis and to have this unique opportunity to enjoy wildlife the way that we do is astonishingly wonderful.
1: Yes, it it sure is. And uh, Alberta's um, done a great win for hunters and anglers and trappers and and outfitters with this new branch. So uh, earlier in the, in the episode, uh, Mark, Mark's conversation was what I said was a win and a loss in Ontario. A win was there's some uh, municipalities that they got Sunday hunting. uh, And then the loss was the loss of all hunting in the Grinsby municipality. And this, New branch and and your exciting new role and, and everybody uh, on your staff is I see it as as a win for hunting in in Alberta so we got a win a loss and a win so uh, Canada wide we're we're ahead folks uh, uh, our hunting community is is ahead by one uh, at least on this episode so
3: That's Matt great. thanks so much
1: for joining me and and breaking this down I really really enjoyed learning about the Always- details
3: always a pleasure mark and uh a refreshing change from our other broadcasts uh with uh with the absence of lee today although i love him to pieces but we didn't hear him interrupting and uh, being being a thorn in our sides and and coming up with this nonsensical jargon that he likes to interject and different allegories and 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 nonsensical you know, uh, outages such as, well, Mark, a pig in a haystack ain't worth a squirrel in a possum's butthole. So thank- <laughs> well, thankfully, he... we, yeah, thankfully we didn't have to listen to that today, but. Well, he but, got, uh, he got
1: his, he got his, his whole own episode, a couple episodes ago talking what? about the, uh,
3: yeah, we, we, we had a,
1: we had a, uh, uh, chewed on the, uh, um the waterfowl trend surveys for 2023 so he, he 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 broke that down gave us gave us our thoughts and and told us what we shouldn't be worried
3: about and what we shouldn't be worried about so well I could just imagine what he said he probably said well there's a few cacklers here and a couple well, of well." Uh, his his advice was is,
1: is that I should take mostly gadwalls <laughs> that was you got to listen to the episode and and his and his <laughs> his logic behind that, but he's like focus well, on the gadwalls.
3: One thing he, I will tell you about Lee, yeah. One thing I will tell you about Lee is that he will eschew the uh, gustatory value of of all sorts of species of of uh, anatids, and uh, will talk a great game about the uh, exquisite culinary um, values of things like gadwalls and uh and uh, and widgeon and and uh coots uh yet when it comes to the end of the hunt he will gladly high grade the bag and remove all the mallards and pintails for himself so uh, there's a bit of contradiction i believe and i i think this should be challenged
1: all right all right well we'll definitely have to get the two of you back on uh, together and, and sort 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 that one out. Uh, great episode, uh, Matt, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Mark. Us in. All right, folks, you're up to date on what's going on around Canada, and I'll see you in the next episode.